the simple moments of everyday life. A lot can be going on that we don't ever notice. But if we'll take the time, the everyday becomes extraordinary as we lean in and look closer. Jesus had just finished preaching the most epic message ever preached in all of human history. And after he's done, and the people begin to head back towards home, he calls his disciples together and says, so I've got a story for you. Everyone who hears these words of mine, all of that I just finished preaching, everyone that hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rains came and the wind blew against the house, but the house stood firm. There was another man who heard these words of mine, and if they don't put them into practice, he's like a man who builds his house on sand. The storm comes and pushes against the house, and it falls with a mighty crash. It's a tiny little story, three verses long. Two builders, two construction plans, two homes, one huge storm, one home crashes and the other holds. The brains of the disciples were already mushed because of this incredible sermon that Jesus had just finished preaching. It actually took their belief system and flipped it upside down, and I'm sure they were left with questions. And my mind, my imagination goes running wild. I can see some of the disciples say, so are we getting into construction? Should we invest in, in rock? What does this mean? What Jesus, why are you telling us these stories? They seem to be confusing at times. I wonder whether or not one of the disciples started humming a song and doing actions. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Those of you that grew up in church know what I'm talking about. Jesus did this throughout his ministry. He would tell stories. And the stories would often create a variety of responses. Sometimes there were these incredible aha moments like, oh, I get it, I get it, I get it. Sometimes there was anger. Sometimes there was confusion. Sometimes there was sober reflection when Jesus would hold up a mirror to someone's soul and they found themselves on the wrong side of the story. Sometimes there was radical life change. For the summer at Christ the King, we're going to step into the teaching of Jesus. We're going to unpack 13 of his stories and the meanings behind them. We're going to look at them at face value, and then we're going to look closer. We're going to magnify the layers of meaning. We're going to try and understand, God, what are you saying to us right here, right now? As you were walking into church this morning, we handed you one of these magnifying glasses. I want to encourage you to hold on to it and maybe even use it in your Bible throughout the weeks as we walk through 13 different individual installments of the teachings of Jesus. If you want to stop by the church and you live in Whatcom County and grab a couple of these for your family, we would love to provide them for you. If you're sitting somewhere on the other side of the world or in a different state, I want to encourage you to find a magnifying glass of some kind in some way and just keep it close to your Bible as we walk through this series together. This is what you need to know about the stories that Jesus told. This is what you need to know as we look closer. Another word for stories is parables. And here's what we need to know. Parables illustrate a central truth about the kingdom of God. So every single one of the parables or stories that we're going to look through is going to teach us a central truth about the way God's kingdom works. And in finding out about God's kingdom, we're also going to see God's character, God's truth, God's heart, and God's love for, for lost people. Secondly, parables contain layers of meaning. If you're a cook, we're going we're to peel back the layers of the onion 
We're gonna look beneath the story to the underlying meaning. And that's why this is so important. Some people would look at the parable of the two builders and think it's about building construction. The two builders is not about construction. Now, if you're building a house right now, there's some principles that could help you, especially if your land is waterfront property on the beach, but that's not the point. We're gonna look closer to uncover the deep meaning of every single story. We're gonna step into the story itself. We're going to see both the characters and we're gonna be the audience. We may even find ourselves in some of the characters along the way. One more important factor, parables were primarily designed to teach the disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you, but it was also to confound the religious, we're gonna see that a lot, and intrigue those who were earnestly seeking. We know that this is true, that there were multi-layers and multiple points going to different people because of the different reactions that the stories of Jesus created. The disciples were on this vertical learning curve and often Jesus would give them not only the story, but he'd have to tell them what it meant because sometimes they just didn't get it. Sometimes there were religious groups listening in and Jesus would use the story to hold up a mirror to their soul and often they were confounded because we're gonna learn something. The kingdom of Jesus and religiosity, they do not play well together at all. Finally, the stories would cause people who were legitimately trying to find out if Jesus was the Messiah would cause them to ask deep, difficult, and probing questions. There were many people listening to the parables and their question was this, Jesus, you say you're the Messiah. Is that who you really are? Some of the parables are like watching a movie and suddenly there's a a magnificent plot twist that sends you in a completely different direction. Listen to Jesus explain why he actually spoke in parables or stories. Mark chapter four. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. The message paraphrase puts it this way. When they were off by themselves, those who were close to him, along with the 12, asked about the stories. He told them, you've been given insight into the kingdom of God. You know how it works, but to those who can't see it yet, everything comes in stories, causing readiness, nudging them towards a welcome awakening. These are people whose eyes are open but don't see anything, whose ears are open but don't hear a word, who avoid about an about-face, and actually being forgiven. Jesus used stories to help focus his followers, to drive the religious people a little nuts, and to nudge people who were trying to figure out if he was the Messiah in the right direction. Years ago, uh, Braden and I went to a father and son week at JH Ranch. I got to do the same thing with my daughter a couple of years later. J.H. Ranch is a, a kind of a family camp for fathers and daughters and mothers and sons in, in Northern California. And when you show up at the ranch, this is one of their mottos. I heard and I forgot. I saw and I remembered. I did and I understood. Let me say that again. I heard and I forgot. I saw and I remembered. I did and I understood. So when we first arrived at camp, Brayden and I are unloading our stuff into a cabin. And way off in the distance, I hear a person screaming. That's weird. 
But I forgot about it pretty quickly because it just kind of disappeared. It just went away and I'm like, okay, whatever. I forgot pretty quickly. It must have been my imagination or something. But later in the week, I saw the reason behind the screams. It was a challenge called the screaming eagle. Okay? Here was the principle. They would strap you and your kid into a hang gliding harness, crank you up several hundred feet above the ground, hand your kid a release cord, and then let you free fall to your death. At least that's the way I perceived it. That's how I felt about it. I remember looking up at that thing. I saw it, and I will never forget the fear that jumped into my heart. I am not crazy about heights. For the record, I'm not afraid of heights. I just believe that Jesus created Grant to stay on the ground. That's how it's supposed to work, okay? Here's a picture of Braden and I getting ready to take our journey on the Screaming Eagle. He's smiling and having fun. I'm smiling because I'm faking it, okay? They said, smile for the camera. That's what I did. So here was the challenge. Strap in, trust your kid with your life, and live to tell the tale. I heard a scream, but I forgot. I saw that evil contraption, and I still remember my fear. And then we did it, and I began to understand all kinds of things. I understand now that I can scream like a seventh grade girl if I'm scared enough. I understand I can trust my son to wait until I was ready. I remember Braden looking at me and going, Dad, it's going to be all right. Ready? <laughs> One, two, boom. <laughs> I understand that working with gravity is cool as long as you've got the right safety equipment. And I finally understand that sharing a moment like that with your son or your daughter is absolutely priceless. As we walk through this journey for the next 13 weeks, I want you to experience the teaching of Jesus here and here. I don't want you to hear it and then forget it as soon as you get to the parking lot. I don't want you to see something cool and have it become a mere memory. No, I want you to step right into the truth of Jesus and understand how different your life could be and my life could be and our life could be if we would embrace the kingdom of God. So let's go to the parable of the two builders. Shows up at the end of Matthew chapter 7. In verse 24, it says this, Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine, stop for a second. Whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible, you need to stop and ask the question, what is that therefore? Okay? Look closer. Look a little closer. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, which words is Jesus talking about? Well, it's actually the words of the Sermon on the Mount. Two and a half chapters. Jesus has just finished talking about this message. So do you remember what I said in the introduction? Most of you are like, nope, it's because you already heard and forgot, and it's okay. Jesus had just finished preaching the most epic sermon in world history. If you've never heard the Sermon on the Mount before, I want to encourage you to go home today or tomorrow and look a little closer at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It will change the way you do your life. But if you've never heard it before, let me give you a summary in three minutes or less. Ready? Put on your seatbelt. Here we go. Blessed are the down, the mourning, the meek, the merciful, the pure, the peacemakers, and the persecuted. They have a special place in God's kingdom. Your role as G to following Jesus is salt and light, flavor and illumination. Anger is like murder unless you play nice and make things right with each other. 
It's possible to commit adultery with your eyes, so you should be cautious what you're looking at. Marriage is sacred. Be a person of your word. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies, not just your friends. Give knowing that God sees it, and that should be enough. Don't pray for show, and when you pray, here's a great way to start. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hopefully you know the rest. Don't fake it when you're fasting. Put your treasure in heaven, not in a can in your backyard. Stop worrying and seek God first. Don't judge. Be careful about pointing out the dust in somebody else's eye when you've got a two-by-four plank sticking out of your own. Ask, seek, and knock because God wants to reply, reward, and answer. Always pick the small gate and bear good spiritual fruit because bad fruit comes from bad trees. Go back and look closer. Check your heart because none of this, none of this has to do with religious performance. It's about the internal condition of your soul and how we get to live that out, how we get to live out God's kingdom in the real world. I covered the highlights. Now you get to go back and look closer. Jesus says, therefore, and now you know what it's there for. Everyone who hears these words of mine, now you know what the words are, and puts them into practice. Apparently, Jesus actually wants us not just to hear it, not just to see it, but to actually go out and do it. I want you to notice something here. It's so important. There are no points in God's kingdom for simply hearing. You could show up in church for an entire lifetime and listen to, ser- uh, to sermons. I mean, day after day, week after week, you, you can just keep showing up and it's not going to do anything unless you actually take the words and do something about them. You can show up and listen for your whole life, and a lot of people do. That's as far as their following of Jesus goes. The Sermon on the Mount would say, check your heart. Check your heart. You don't just get to hear it. You actually have to do something with it. God is calling us in this moment to become active with everything we're going to hear today. So there's an assumption. When you're a peacemaker, when you are salt and light, when you settle matters quickly between yourselves, when you keep your eyes and your thoughts under control, when you're a person of your word and your yes is yes and your no is no, when you turn the other cheek no matter how hard, how much it hurts, when you love your enemy, when you give to the poor, when you pray, when you fast, when you store up eternal treasure, when you trust and refuse to worry, when you leave the judging up to Jesus, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock, when you choose the narrow way, when you bear good fruit, not only are you doing the work of God, you're actually participating in God's kingdom. Jesus is teaching this kingdom principle. It's not about what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. Let me say that again. It's not about what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. Do you know that it's possible to be a Bible trivia champion and miss out on heaven completely? That should be sobering for some of us. Those of us that are lifers, boy, I know so much about church and the Bible. It doesn't matter unless you do something with it. Let me uh, dig myself a little deeper hole. You can have a treadmill in your house. You can listen to lectures all day long about the benefits of exercise. You can read diet plans and have a perfect wardrobe of active wear... (laughs) elbows just are moving all over the place you can have all of that but if you don't move it's all a waste 
Yeah, huh? Always. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it this way. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently, whoever looks closer into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. We want you to do and understand, not just see and hear and do nothing with it. So Jesus says, therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. When I hear that word, builds his house on the rock, I'm immediately drawn to other scriptures. Psalm 18:2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold. There's something beautiful about that imagery. A rock has weight to it. A rock is not easily moved. A rock put together with other rocks can actually create this beautiful, firm foundation that that no matter how intense the storms are, it still holds firm. Isaiah 28, 16. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. And the one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. When your house is built on the firm and solid rock of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what cultural storm happens or what world storm happens. It doesn't matter. Nothing moves because a rock foundation doesn't move. A rock foundation is secure. When the storms blow and the winds pound, the rock doesn't move. And that's really good timing because here comes the storm. Verse 25, the rain came down and the streams rose. Sunday school kids. The rain came down and the floods came up. Remember? (laughs) And the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I look for some fancy theological terms to explain this point. I think I'll stick with this. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Interesting sidebar, as I look around the room, I see a number of you who I have had the privilege of traveling in Israel with. We're hoping to go again in October. Can I be honest? It's been a little difficult to recruit people to go to Israel these past few weeks, (laughs) considering what's on the front pages, but we will have a meeting if you're interested. It may be the time to come. I've been on the, the Mount of Beatitudes. It's beautiful beautiful rolling hills that drop down into a river valley and at the bottom of it is this wonderful piece of water called the Sea of Galilee. 
What's interesting is if you look from the top of the Mount of Beatitudes where Jesus said all of these beautiful things, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are those who mourn, all of these blessings, blessings, blessings. If you look down and look just off to your left, you see this little pile of rubble. It's almost completely indistinguishable because of the reeds that have grown, grown up over top of it. But what's interesting is the, that at the time Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee in teaching, there was a Roman proconsul who, for some reason, decided multiple times that he wanted to build a summer house on the beach on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Here was the problem. It kept collapsing. Does that give the story a bit of a different twist? Jesus is just like, hey, the wise man built his house on the rock. But there was this idiot <laughs> who kept trying to build his house on the sand. And it didn't go very well for him because sand isn't stable. I can just picture Jesus kind of leaning back and tilting his head to make a point. And boy, do we need to hear that point these days, don't we? I've watched people in this past season build grandiose arguments on the sinking sand of their own opinions. Can I lovingly say this to you? If that's what you're doing, it's only a matter of time till it all crashes around you because the truth is this. You and your opinion are not the same as the unchangeable, unmovable, inerrant, and infallible word of God. One stands forever. Our opinion is gone. I've watched people build their entire life on stuff and storage units only to find out none of it's going with you. I've watched people attach their little kingdom to worldly philosophies and human leaders only to find out that all that stuff just crumbles and disappoints. I've watched people try to build a kingdom based on their own ability and business prowess only to find out that the whole thing comes tumbling down and there's no security in that at all. One economic storm, and it all goes away. Speaking of storms, verse 27, the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Which house? The house that was built on the sand, and it fell with a great crash. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. So I've been thinking all week long about construction plans and, and rocks <laughs> and sand. I've been going back through the Sermon on the Mount because, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to, to hear about building on the rock if you're not actually willing to look back at all the things that Jesus had said living up to that particular moment. And there's, there's so much here. We could spend weeks just looking closer and looking closer I mean, and we think about some of the, the, the simple takeaways, right? Build your life with the right foundation. Don't build your life foolishly on sand because it just shifts and moves. And the first time a storm comes through, you're going to end up having to try and put the broken pieces together. No, instead, look towards the rock. Build your life on the solid rock foundation of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's just so many simple takeaways. Don't be a fool. Here's one that kind of struck me. Did you notice one house is built righteously, one house is built foolishly, but they both get hit with a storm? Apparently, you, you can choose the right foundation. It doesn't make you immune from the storm. It just makes you immovable 
in the storm. I've been processing the fact that, that the storm hits both homes, but only one remains standing. And the reason that has like, just jumped out at me is because I've been processing that from the perspective of Psalm 148. Listen closely to these words. It says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all ocean depths. Like Grant, what does that have to do with houses and rock and sand and storms? Listen to what comes next. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do God's bidding. What's the conclusion? Jesus can calm a storm? Oh, we know that to be true. Jesus can calm a storm, but he can also send one. Oh, it's true, the wind and waves still know his name. They are obedient to him, but there are moments when God can say, hey, storm, I need you to go that way. Sometimes Jesus is in the storm. Sometimes Jesus is the storm. Listen closely as we look closer. There have been times in my life when I have been flat out disobedient to what God has called me to do. God said, I want you to do this, and I thought I knew better, I thought I was smarter, so I went and did this. Do you know what I was doing? I was building a sandcastle. I had my little sand toys and I was building a monument to myself. I was building something selfish and self-centered and self-serving. I wanted to construct something because I was trying to meet some kind of a need in the deepest part of my soul. And God, God actually saw me doing what I was doing, even though he knew how foolish it was. Because I think we all want to do that, right? We want to construct something. We want to be known somehow that, 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 that that's our value. And so we, we pad our resume and we move in a direction and we climb up corporate ladders and we just try to keep pushing and pushing and pushing and we're, and we're building a sand monument towards ourselves because, because we just like it when we're the center of our own universe. There have been seasons in my life where I started building on sand and God... God, because he loved me, did not sit idly by, but instead he stepped into his full role as a father and he pleaded with me to stop. Grant, all other ground is sinking sand. It's gonna collapse. Don't put your energy there. Don't push all of your cards into that particular game. Don't do it. Don't do it. No, come back to the solid rock of your foundation. Come back and drill the pilings down deep into this. I promise you, I will not move. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. The storms are going to come, but if you, if you anchor yourself in me, it won't collapse. Here was the problem. I knew that, and I went and built my sandcastle anyway. I ignored his warnings as I think we often do. And this was God's response. Because he's a loving father who can't stand to watch his children build sandcastles to themselves. He huffed and he puffed and he blew that house down. 
and then he did the unthinkable. Instead of lecturing me on how I needed to learn my lesson, he said, I'm still here. We can deconstruct that stuff. I can forgive all of your misguided efforts. So right now, today, let's start here and rebuild with my grace. He called me back to the precious cornerstone with some hard lessons learned and in exchange for my disobedience, he gave me grace. Which means this. Don't ever want to go back to this again. I wonder how many of us are in a storm right now and the truth is it's the solid rock calling us back to a foundation that's actually going to stand the test of time. It's really easy to say, oh, I get the story, Grant, I understand. Really, what, what if we looked closer? What if we confessed that we've been working on the wrong building project? What if we thanked God for his grace and said, Jesus, could I start again? Could we deconstruct and rebuild? I'd like to choose a very different foundation. One that won't move. So it's decision time. Where and on what are you building the foundation of your life? Because I will tell you this from experience. If it's not on the solid rock of Jesus, today is the day to begin a whole new building project. So many of us are taught to focus on now, right? We're, we're, we're so myopic, we just want to see, like, I, I need to build something. I, I need to get busy. I need to create this. Do we realize that everything that we're building right now is, is temporary? What if we looked closer and built a foundation that was not built for temporary, but instead was built for eternity? What if we were salt and light this week? What if we did turn the other cheek even though it stings? What if we loved our enemies instead of lecturing them? What if we heard these words of Jesus and put them into practice and in doing so built on the solid rock foundation of Jesus and his word. I wonder if the world we live in would be a little bit different. Would you pray with me? Jesus, right now, I pray for... Uh, I pray for those who are watching here in the room or at home who right now are having a, a moment of confession where they have come to you and said, Jesus, I, I've been a fool. I've built my life on, on a foundation of sand and everything keeps moving and shifting and crumbling around me and I've always wondered why and, and now I know why. God, I pray that they would 
take courage from you. And that you would graciously bring them back to the solid rock foundation of your kingdom in your life. God, I thank you that grace today would allow us to start building all over again. So God, I pray for those who need to exchange foundations. And I pray that the, the frailty of sand would be, would be pushed away and that the solid rock foundation of you and your word would become the new building site. God, I thank you for the brothers and sisters in this room who have been so faithful over the years. God, they haven't just heard the word, they actually do what it says. And I thank you. I thank you for their faithfulness. God, I pray that throughout this series, they would, they would drive the pilings of the foundation of their life deeper and deeper and deeper into Jesus. God, I pray that today, we would hear these words of yours. I pray that we would hear them and do them. God, I pray that we would not um, hear and forget. God, I pray more than, than just seeing and remembering. I pray that we would do them and understand. So God, thank you for a story about two people trying to build. Thank you for the storm that tested their foundations. And thank you for the opportunity to build on the same solid rock of Jesus. Lord, we love you. Would you go with us all 13 weeks? Lord, if we can't be here, thank you for technology that allows us uh, to tune in from anywhere. God, I pray the family of Christ the King would look a little closer into you and your kingdom. And may all the good that comes out of that bring honor and glory to your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, There are moments at the end of services when we sing songs of hope. There are times we sing songs of encouragement. Other times we sing songs of declaration. And I'd like to invite you to do that with me. And so if you're at home, I'm going to ask you to somehow make a shift right now. There's something powerful about kneeling or standing when you've been in one position for a long time. If you're here in the room, I'm going to invite you to do exactly the same thing. If you'd stand with me right now, if at some point you'd like to kneel in the aisle, that would be fine too. There are times when we need to make declarations and because we know how foolish this stuff is, I'm just gonna kinda get rid of it for a bit. There are times when we need to simply say, in Christ alone. There are times when we need to say, on Christ the solid rock, I stand. Even though everything else may seem like sinking sand, I will stand firm and sure because this rock does not move. So as we bring our time of worship to a close, may we sing these words with passion, declaration, and hope as God calls us to build on a sure foundation. God bless you. Let's worship together.